Hello and welcome. We're studying another biblical grandmother here today on Search for Truth. Many thanks for the pleasure of your company. Uh, this is your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. And today Brian brings us the final talk in this eight-part series. If you've been uh, following, then you'll know we've been studying how we can learn from some biblical grandparents. Today's talk is called The Grandmother Who Helped a Curse Become a Blessing. So let's go to Brian now and find out more about it. Thanks, John. I'm sure we've all heard the kind of simple puzzle that asks, Sally's mother had three daughters. The first two were called April and May. What do you think was the name of the third? Ah, of course, that's too easy for you. But today I've got something just a little more taxing. However, please don't be put off because it really does showcase superbly how God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. It also explains how God's son can one day sit on King David's throne. What we have to share today is the remarkable story of a grandmother who played a pivotal role in God's plans for the Messiah. Her remarkable and strategic contribution was born out of recurring sadness. And also remarkably, we're never told her name, only that she was the daughter of someone called Neri. Now, any guesses as to who Neri's great-grandson was? He was a man greatly blessed by the Lord. That's a harder puzzle, perhaps, but all will soon be revealed. First, I'd like to point out a common link between Joseph's genealogy, which we get in Matthew chapter 1, and Mary's genealogy, which is listed in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Here's the Matthew reading first, or part of it. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and so on. And now from Luke we have, from chapter 3, verse 27, the son of Joanan, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri. Hopefully you notice the overlap there, given away by the repeated names of Shealtiel and Zerubbabel. And if that name is ringing bells for you, it'll be because you're already familiar with the story of the return of the Jews from their exile in Babylon and how God used prophets like Haggai to re-energise his people for the work of reconstructing the Jerusalem temple. Near to the end of the prophet Haggai's short message, we find these words, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like a signet ring. This was God's marvellous promise to this man, Zerubbabel, and it's at once noteworthy for the fact that it reverses an earlier curse which was pronounced in the same terms upon his grandfather, one of the last kings before the Jewish people were deported to Babylon. Here's what another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, said. Even though Jeconiah were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off, I will hurl you into another country, there you will die. But as for that land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. Write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. God watches over his word to perform it, and soon it was fulfilled that Jeconiah, who's sometimes in the Bible called Coniah or Jehoiachin, this Jeconiah was defeated by the Babylonians and taken captive to the city of Babylon. 
There, Jeconiah's prosperity was restored in Babylon, where he died. He did have a son by the name of Shealtiel, who never reigned as a king of Israel. What's more, this man died before producing an heir. According to the promise, Jeconiah's descendants did return to Israel from the time of his grandson's generation. So, the royal bloodline, now under a curse, seems to have come to an end with Shealtiel. That satisfies the prophecy of Jeremiah. God's judgment had terminated the line. But when we come to the opening of the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 1, as we read earlier, Jeconiah is in fact listed in the royal line, which does continue down to Christ. How does this not contradict the Jeremiah prophecy? It seems at first sight this is a contradiction in the Bible, and a pretty major one, as it touches on Christ's legal human right to reign in the future on David's throne. There's a wonderful explanation for how this puzzle was solved. It involves what will likely be a strange custom to us. So let me talk you through that first of all. The law of God, through Moses, had made this provision to maintain family names and keep the inheritance of land, etc., within the family. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 5. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Let's recap where we've got to. The cursed king, Jeconiah, who was cursed for his disobedience, has been told that he'd be childless, at least childless with respect to the throne. It's important to pick up clearly on that qualification, for we've commented that Jeconiah did have a son, Shealtiel, but he never sat on the throne, so the prophecy was fulfilled, as neither did he have any natural offspring who became king. How then is it possible that this man's name can still feature in the royal line of descent which in the New Testament stretches down to Christ? The answer is found in the fact that the king married a widow. The daughter of Neri was a widow who already had a son, Pediah, and she then married the king Coniah or Jeconiah. They then had a son together, Shealtiel, who married but died before fathering a son. It was then incumbent, according to the law we quoted, upon Pediah to marry his stepbrother's wife to raise up seed to his stepbrother Shealtiel. By virtue of the, by our standards, exceptional provision of the Old Testament law, Zerubbabel ends up being in both Joseph and Mary's line of descent from David, and so in Christ's. It should be noted that Mary's bloodline was literally free of Jeconiah, but her descent was not legally clear of him. The legal aspect is important in order to establish her son's right to the throne. That is Christ's legal human right to David's throne. It's an amazing story of how, by God's overruling, the actual bloodline through Nathan and the legal right to the throne through Solomon are brought together in Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's name means born in Babylon. Upon this man, so tainted with Israel's sinful past and captivity, was conferred the legal right to the throne of David. In itself, this is another revelation of God's ways of grace. This special circumstance had necessarily involved his grandmother being widowed. We can only imagine this sad event and the grief it caused at the time. 
happiness seemed to return to her life with a proposal of marriage from the man who was then king. Whether this was a happy marriage we don't know, as her husband was to incur God's severe displeasure, which resulted in him and his natural offspring coming under a curse, which was that neither they nor their natural descendants would ever reign as kings on David's throne. However, in a very real sense, this must have been a marriage made in heaven, as it was God's gracious solution as to how David's dynasty could indeed be maintained, despite the curse, effectively meaning the dynasty had come to an end. But there would first be more sadness and pain ahead for this dear lady, whom we only know as the daughter of Neri, for she was to suffer the tragic early death of the son she bore to the king. His name was Shealtiel, as we now know, but he didn't live long enough to produce an heir. Zerubbabel, as we can read for ourselves in the Bible books of Haggai and Zechariah, was someone who chose to obey God, and how blessed he was in his obedience. Curiously then, if you can work this out, Zerubbabel was the result of a son's widow marrying a widow's son. The man born in Babylon, born in the outside place, turned the curse of disobedience into blessing through his personal obedience and became a leader of God's people and a builder of God's house. In terms of the overall storyline of the Old Testament, the Israelites have at this point returned from captivity in Babylon to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. This project was being slowed by opposition, but God gave encouragement that the reconstruction would be completed. The expression, the day of small things, seems to have been a disparaging term applied to the current efforts by those who longed after the past glories of this temple's more magnificent predecessor. But while they look back, God was looking forward. He speaks of how his eye anticipated Zerubbabel's final checks using a plumb line, showing the building as true to God's own pattern. That was a source of gladness for God, and he said so. How encouraging that must have been for the disheartened workers. In church life, our efforts can seem so feeble, and results may be small, but when we have the assurance of the Spirit's working, we can take courage from God's different perspective as we build to his pattern. So the promise was that the mountainous difficulties would be removed and the work finished. Zerubbabel the governor had not only begun the work, he was going to finish it as well. Just as the foundation stone had been laid by his hands, so also would the headstone at the topmost elevation which completed the project. Viewing Jesus, the head of the corner, as son over God's spiritual house and churches of God today, let's aim to be finishers for God.
as this is the last programme in the present series, this is the final reminder that we have a free transcript book available. And it's available by request. At the same time, if you have any questions, please write in and Brian will be glad to help. The hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Grandparents. You can order by email or by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know as well that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and there you'll find them. So, we're almost at the end of today's programme and the end of this series. It's been great to have your company. If you've been following the series, I hope you found it interesting and informative. Next week, we'll be starting off on a brand new series and topic, so I hope you can join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So, bye for now and may God richly bless you. (laughs) 